You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at TommyKelly44. As we're uh, kind of, as we look ahead to the next era of Phillies baseball, next great era, we're looking back at that 07 to 11 era and some of the great memories. Last caller, though, brought up a bad one, which was that 05 or that uh, game five in 2011 against the Cardinals. And man, that was, that was such a devastating loss. Obviously, at the time, just the fact that a 102 win team went out in the first round. But also, I mean, in the end, it signaled the end of that era. The fact that that team never was the same after that. Ryan Howard never was the same after tearing his Achilles. And that was such a devastating loss. I would probably put it behind behind the Eagles' loss to Tampa in the NFC Championship. That was probably the second most devastating loss of my lifetime. You know, the Super Bowl was was bad in 04, but not... Not to that extent. I mean, because in the Super Bowl, you lost to a worthy opponent. Um, I think the 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 three worst losses were, you know, losing that game to Tampa, that loss to the Cardinals, and then that the Eagles championship loss to the Cardinals in 08 when they had beat them, crushed them on Thanksgiving night a few weeks earlier. But that loss was so bad, lose one nothing, and the offense couldn't do anything. And the shame of it is that it was – you know, it's the best pitched game you'll never remember. Roy Halladay was incredible that night. Incredible. He went eight innings, threw like something like 140 pitches, gave up one run. He was absolutely incredible that night. And nobody remembers how good he was. Because all you remember is that the Phillies lost the game one nothing. And, you know, I remember the moment that I knew they were in big-time trouble was, I think it was like the fourth inning, might have been the fifth inning, Raul Abanez, with two guys on and two outs, hits this ball to right that looks like it's gone off the bat. And you can hear the crowd going nuts. They think it's gone, and it just dies at the wall. And when the Phillies didn't score there, you kind of just had a really ominous feeling. At least I did. I had a really bad feeling at that time. Like, this just isn't going to happen. And every every out the rest of the night, every every inning that the Phillies couldn't put a run on the board and tie that game, you just kind of got that sense of dread. And man, that was that was kind of a downer. That was that was such a painful loss. And especially looking back now and seeing really what it represented. Uh, being the end of the end of the end of that era, the end of that five-year period where the Phillies were relevant, um, and kind of I guess coming full circle in the last few days of you know the signing of Bryce Harper, I feel like really signals the turning of the page that we can kind of get back to the Phillies being a big-time team nationally, a big-time you know story. In this town as well. 888-729-9494. Pound 9494. AT&T, Verizon. Sell the other Philly stuff we've been on. Uh, what can we expect from this team this year? 
We talked a lot about the long term, what they could do down the line. What do you expect this year? What's reasonable to uh, expect from this team in year one of this um, process where they really get back to winning? And Gabe Kapler in year two is something we talked about more recently in the show. I think Gabe Kapler is going to be much less of a story this year because I don't think he's going to need to tinker and do all the things maneuvering-wise that he did last year. What do you expect from Gabe in year two as Phil's manager? 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T, Verizon. Cell. back to the phones, we go to Danny in Virginia. What's up, Danny? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? I'm pretty good. Listen, um, I want to agree with you on the point that, yeah, Gabe Kapler will not be as much of a story this year because it'll just be as simple as I think he does what I, he, I hope he does what great managers do. They just sit back and let the voice play, like Joe Torre. You know, just don't interfere, don't tinker too much, like you said. Yeah, and, and but, like uh, Joe Torre, or, or kind of kind of like Charlie too. Charlie was yeah, kind of that no, way. No, you're right. Charlie was that way. And as far as what I expect from the Phillies, honestly, you know, maybe I'm optimistic, but I honestly expect them to win the division. I expect it. I think. I think it's going to be tough. The Braves are good. The Nationals are still good. The Mets, I don't know, and the Marlins, well. You know, I don't think they're that good, but I honestly, now that they got Harper and McCutcheon and Segura, starting pitching, I don't think it's a question mark. I think it's just going to be a competition for who the five guys are. I think there's a lot of talent there, and I expect them to win the division, I do. It's it's an expectation at this point. Yeah, and Danny, when you look at the rotation, it's interesting because – the four guy, you know, the two guys that obviously are you got Nolan Arietta, and then right, I think it's going right. to be, I think it's going to be great competition when you look at Pavetta, Eflin, Velasquez, and Eichhoff. I mean, those guys are really going to be competing, and I do think they'll probably bring somebody in a left-handed starter, um, you know, more of a mid-range and, guy. And, but you mean you mean in July they will? Maybe I think they could sign somebody in the next couple of weeks. More well, not not like a Keuchel but like more of a mid-range guy to come in and kind of, you know, be a third or fourth guy. The other thing is, is that obviously, like you said, it's Arietta and Nola or two and one, but it's, if I had to pick number three today, it would be Eflin. Eflin has been my guy for a while. Yeah, Eflin. I, had, like, I like Eflin. Yeah, he had that good stretch last year. Yeah. He had before a good they, couple before months. They, before they sent him down to save on his service time, that was uh, what happened there. I don't understand that. Yeah, that was an, that was a weird thing. And Eff, Eflin, you know, he he certainly has the potential. I I I need to see it for a longer period though from him. I need to see it uh, for longer. You, well, you you can say the same about Eikhoff. That's true. You need well, you can say the same for Velasquez. No, you're not right. Consistent. So that's what I said. I'm, it's not a question mark. It's just a competition. Who are those other three guys going to be? We don't know. Yeah, I I think that's yeah. a good point, Danny. You got a memory for me there? A memory. My earliest memory of the Phillies playing was my father took us to see a game at the vet. I was like seven years old, and it was like I remember Steve Jeltz getting a hit. I don't know if it was the, I, I I was that's my not my earliest memory. My earliest Phillies memory. Gotcha. I'm trying to think if Steve Jeltz would have sort of like eighty four, eighty five, but he. Would he have yeah. been around that time, or am I off? I, you know what? I'm not exactly sure, Danny. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. Um, 
I was thinking more during that 07 to 11 era. I, Steve Jeltz is before my time, but that's a good one, too. I mean, the vet memories, Philly's playing in the vet was cool. It wasn't, obviously, a, a stadium conducive to baseball. Obviously, Citizens Bank Park. It, Citizens Bank Park, by the way, is such a beautiful place to watch a game, such a nice place to watch a game. And, you know, remember how it's crazy to think about because the, the ballpark has not been full the past couple of years, but they had that sellout streak where they were, that place was packed every night and it's going to be back that way. Now I'm telling you, it's going to be a, a huge party and it's, it's, it's such a cool place to watch a game, but there was something, there was something cool about, you know, watching the Phillies in the vet too. It was, it was odd because it certainly was not a stadium um, that I think was meant to house baseball, but uh, it was, it was cool when the Phillies played at the vet too. Eight 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 seven two nine nine four nine four. Let's go to Frank in Mississippi. What's up, Frank? Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Yeah, I, I I agree with uh, with Capper. When he's going to have 85 percent of the time, just plug and play, sub do their thing. And uh, I, I don't. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him win ninety or ninety plus this year uh, with the talent they just brought in. It. I wouldn't. I wouldn't find Alan realistic at all. You can say that. Yeah, and and you know the pitching. Will, you know, I think the pitching can hold up good enough because the fact is, I think this offense is going to put up a lot of runs. Like, they should be able to score consistently. Yeah, when, when the, like last year when the pitching was, yeah, and they need that, you know, two or three extra runs, and they're like, oh, we're just one short, one short, one short. Like, yeah, oh God, come on. You know, it was just killer. And uh, and probably my greatest memory thing was the stairs. Because I remember that one. Because I was still in the Navy then, and I was watching the game on the ship. And uh, when he hit that home run, I'm like, oh, going super, super nuts, super crazy. And then four hours later, I got word that my uh, youngest daughter had been born. Probably at the same time he had hit that home run. So I was like, hey. So I never forget that day. Wow, man, that's, per- that's a pretty awesome day, Frank. I appreciate the call, yeah, man. Thanks. Anyway. All right, thank you. Yeah, Bye-bye. thank you. Appreciate it. That's a pretty awesome day. A lot of people come with that Matt Stairs home run. That was a great that, – that was – that was an unbelievable moment. It really was. And Anthony Foley, my producer. Anthony, you got a, a good one for me from that 07 to 11? Uh, man, well, I do Put remember the, the parade a, a lot. There. I remember my mom letting me skip school. There you and go. And all my friends going down to the parade. Uh, that was that was just an unforgettable day. Um, trying to think of an in-game moment. Um, I was there at the game. When we clinched the NL East the year we did, we won the World Series. It was against the Nationals. Oh, yeah. play, Jimmy Riles. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. I remember I think that. that might be it. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. That was because that was also them trying to preserve Brad Lidge's uh, save streak that year. That's right. To not blow a save. Yeah, that was. And uh, that's right. J. Roll made a diving play, flipped it to Utley, and they had the double play to win the division. That was that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about those Phillies memories, those great Phillies moments from the 07 to eleven period as they enter this new period. And, and I, I think you know. When you do look at this team, as as people are, are, you know, looking at Gabe this year, I do think that is a storyline to keep an eye on. Because Gabe was, I mean, it, it's so weird because baseball, more than any other sport, you know, the head coach or the manager, I think, is looked at as the, as, as less important than they are in other sports. Like, I think a baseball manager is viewed as, as as far as the four major sports, the guy that does the least, you know, we kind of just sets the lineup, goes out there, pitching change, whatever. But 
Gabe was probably, you know, the biggest story of last season. And how often do you see that where the manager is the story? And he was last year. Gabe was a huge storyline. I, I think a lot of people are, are kind of seeing it the same way. The fact that he's probably not going to be that this year. The fact that this lineup is much more straightforward. It's much more, you know, clear cut where he's not going to have to do all the tinkering. Where Scott Kingery's not going to be out there playing left field one day, right field the next day, and third one day, and second base, shortstop. You know, you're not going to have to do that. These guys are just going to go out. They're going to play the positions they always play. And, yeah, that was a reason why this was one of the worst defensive teams in baseball last year. The fact that there was a lack of a lack of continuity, the fact that there was a lack of consistency in where guys were playing every single day. And when you're playing a different position, it's hard to to play it at a high level. And that was part of what I think really hurt this team defensively, and that's Another thing that we haven't talked about as much is the fact that, yeah, this team's going to be better offensively, certainly with the bats they've added, but they're also going to be better defensively. Just the fact that you have guys playing the same positions every day and you look at you know a guy like Reese Hoskins moving back to his natural position at first base. You look at a guy like Andrew McCutcheon, who may not be the player he used to be, but still is a elite outfielder, still is a guy that can cover a lot of ground out there in left field. Gene Segura, who, who's a, a top-notch defensive shortstop. Real Muto, uh, who is a good defensive catcher behind the plate. I mean, the amount of runs that this team was cost last year just from playing poor defense is another thing that is gonna that they're going to be improved at, and it's going to help the pitching staff as well. Let's go back to the phones. Jim in Schwanksville. What's up, Jim? Hey, Tom. How you doing, Good Jim? Good evening. I'm doing well. Snowing crazy, and so guys, stay off the road. Um, oh. behave, or be, uh, be careful. I have a question. I'm enjoying the topic tonight, and what I'm thinking about is what's wrong with Bryce Harper? I mean, apparently there's got to be something. You said you're, you started – down this um, trail a few callers ago when you said your uncle lives in Washington. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just curious, is it, there's got, there, there seems to be, there, there has to be something that Washington didn't like and, you know, that they let him go and didn't, didn't force the, Hey, we're going to match anybody or anybody's offer. We want you here for, for your entire career. What do you think? Well, it's interesting, Jim, and I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, I know they they have a lot of money committed. They have gone out and they have spent in the last five years. It may be strictly a financial thing where, you know, the reports were that after the season they offered Bryce Harper a 10-year, $300 million deal. And, hey, maybe they offered him that deal, and maybe it was kind of a take-it-or-leave-it thing, and maybe they placed that that kind of value on him, and once he said no— I mean, they moved on. They moved on. They signed Corbin. Um, they're going to be looking, I think, to extend a guy like Rendon. So I think it might have just come to a point where the Nationals had a certain value set on him, and they weren't going to go above that value. Do you think there's going to come a time when it's four, three, three, four, five, eight years down the road where you know the Phillies management says, 
hey, we're stuck here, and and this turned into a a horrible decision financially for the Phillies. There's no way to know. I mean, certainly it could end up being that case. I mean, there's there's no way to know that now. It could be. But when I look at it, I think it's a risk the Phillies almost had to take. I really do. I think they needed this kind of star power to kind of re-legitimize them. And as good as they had had of an offseason, and it was a productive offseason, you you know it wouldn't have been viewed that way unless they got Bryce Harper. Hey, I'm trying to dri- drive back into the uh, you know the vaults of my memory and to remember the, the 2008 season, the World Series season. Was there? Do you remember? Was there any big giant signings, or was that an organic team that we built and developed ourselves? Well, I'm pretty sure it was a pretty organic team. When you well, I, the big actually the big signing it wasn't really looked at as a big signing, but the guy ended up having a pretty big impact was before the year uh, signing Pedro Feliz to play third base. That was okay, a big deal I, because the year before, they, they had Wes Helms at third, and Feliz really came in and filled out that roster. And and then I guess one final thought on the Bryce Harper. You know, if, if 2008 World Series, um, you know, was homegrown, I mean, obviously last year the Super Bowl was a homegrown. I, I just, to me, it seems like, I don't, I don't know too many times when, when this big, star comes in and and it and it's the catch-all and it gets you up and over that hump uh, anyway we'll see how it we'll see how it uh how it plays out favorite philly memory it's got to be the 2008 parade i mean the kids were little you know and, and bright sunny blue day marching down broad street uh, you know first time that i can remember it in my lifetime so definitely the best uh the best memory and i appreciate your time tonight thanks oh yeah of course thanks jim appreciate the call and uh yeah that 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 was an awesome one and that, that's an interesting topic jim brings up there is you know why did the why were the Nationals not more aggressive in, in signing Bryce Harper? I don't really know. I mean, maybe they just had a value set on him. I mean, the reports were ten years, three hundred. They had offered him. Who knows? I mean, I I honestly I still don't know what to believe in all this reporting because um, so much of it is false. So much of it is you know propaganda get gotten out there, leaked out there by by somebody to serve their agenda. So I don't I don't really know in the end why Washington wasn't more aggressive in trying to keep him. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 on your AT&T and Verizon cell. Would love to hear from you as we continue to look back at the 07-11 Phillies moments. What can you expect from him this year? And Gabe Kapler in year two, um, will he be his biggest storyline? I don't think he will be. I think it's going to be a much easier team to manage this year for Gabe Kapler. So we'll continue talking about all that stuff as we move forward. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Good job, Anthony Foley, digging that up. I'm Tom Kelly. That was the uh, the, the play we were talking about before the break there, the 08 division clincher where uh, Jimmy Rollins dove, made that great play, flipped to Chase Utley, and, the, you know, clinching the division for the Phils and keeping that save streak um, in line for Brad Lidge. That's still one of the most amazing things. Brad Lidge went through that entire season without blowing a save in 2008. Absolutely incredible. Uh, what a year that was. I'm seeing this. Uh, Todd Zalecki of MLB.com just tweets this out a minute ago. I told you earlier in the show that Bryce Harper apparently broke the record broke the in 24 hours of jersey sales from any player in any sport ever. Now, Todd Zalecki adds to that. This is according to Fanatics, by the way, uh, that Philly's merchandise sales are up from the same date last year, 
5,000%. No, that, that is not a, a, a misprint. 5,000% increase from last season at this time. Uh, that is three zeros, 5,000%. That, that's, that's incredible. Phillies have been, may, have been just crushing it in terms of merchandise the past few days. The, what they are selling, you know, down in Clearwater and here in Philadelphia, I mean, it is incredible. The, the ticket sales are off the charts. I'm, I'm, I'm furious with myself that I was com- contemplating last week getting like a Sunday package or a 17 game. I couldn't really get a Sunday package because I'm always working here on Sundays, but like, I don't know, some kind of ticket package. I was thinking about doing it last week. I hesitated and now I feel like an idiot because the prices are going to be way too high. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that at this point. Um, but, like, over the past couple of years, I worked down with John and Ike during their afternoon show because we, they broadcast from the concourse pretty much before every home game. And I didn't used to stay around for the games. Like, this year, probably actually stay around for Phillies games. And that, that's that's pretty cool that it's gotten back to that point that, you know, people are going to be out at the ballpark. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. So, um, yeah, 5,000% increase in merchandise sales. From this time last year, just just incredible. But uh, we've been talking about the Phils a lot of the show. Best memories from that last great era from 07 to 11. What you can expect this year, and and more recently, uh, Gabe Kapler in year two. What were your feelings on Gabe in year one? I actually thought Gabe Kapler did a good job. I I thought he got the most out of you know pretty average talent for most of last year. Um, pushed a lot of the right buttons and. At the end of the year, this team just, you know, reverted back. And, and they obviously underperformed. And it was it was hideous that last six to eight weeks. I'm not going to defend that. And Gabe is partially um, at fault for that as well. But I thought in general he did a good job. I think Gabe Kapler um, has the potential to be a good manager in this league. And I think that, you know, he's going to have a much easier job a much easier time of things in year two with the the improved talent that he has this season. What are your thoughts on Gabe? 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T, and Verizon. So let's go to Steve in Wilmington. What's happening, Steve? Hey, how you doing today? Good. How you doing, man? Uh, not bad. First of all, the Phillies moment that I really loved was way back in that, I think it was the 07 season, when Jimmy Rollins started making those predictions that they were the team to beat, and they were going to win it. And I think they were almost six games still behind the Mets. Do you they remember were, that? Yeah, I think they, they were like seven out with like 17 yeah. games to play. It was, and he, and he started making those predictions and, about how bad the Mets were and how much that they were and, going to win it. And, Steve, you remember this series always sticks out to me as – you know, one of my favorite memories is you remember the Mets came in here for like a four-game series, yeah. and Chase Utley was coming back off of his broken hand. The Phillies swept them. The last yep. game they came back from like a ten-to-one deficit. It was that was really what jump-started them that year. Oh yeah, and uh, the other thing is, real quick before I get to my two Phillies questions, mm-hmm. how about a shout out for the Flyers? I mean, these guys were buried in January, and all of a sudden. I mean, they've won, as, as, as you've been reporting, 16 out of 21. 
they're they're coming. They're five points out. And they've got a shot of making the playoffs. Yeah, they do, Steve. And and I'm not going to lie. I kind of left them for dead. I thought they were done. And, you know, the coaching change seems to have really helped and, and breathed some life back into them. And, you know, and, hopefully they can get the goalie healthy and, and make a run well, here. But they got a shot at least. Well, as far as the goalie, Elliot's come back and he's playing like uh, Bernie Perron. Yeah, he's playing well, uh, but he, I think in the end you're going to want hard in there when it matters. You want to get him that experience. Well, you do, and you also got Cam now. Yeah. So, as far as goaltending goes, they soared that that far it up. Yeah, they they they're certainly playing a lot better over the last couple of weeks. I I I certainly didn't think that they were going to be in the hunt at this point. Yeah. Okay. My Phillies questions are, are actually there's two of them. One, and I've been watching the games on the MLB over the weekend. And Scott Kingery has really looked unsatisfactory, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he struck out like five out of the last six times, had a terrible throwing error. Um, what do you think they're going to be doing with him? You know, because go ahead. Steve. He, he he can't be the starting second baseman. No, I don't think he will be. I don't think they're going to move Hernandez. So. You know, it's interesting to see what they do with Kingery. I mean, they're paying him that kind of money. I got to look more into his contract and see if they can send him down because that is honestly what I would probably do. If there's nowhere for him to play, and I don't think there's anywhere for him to play because Hernandez is your second baseman, I think Franco is a better option at third. If he's not getting those at-bats here, he needs to be playing every day. He needs to get that experience I'd rather have him getting those at-bats in Lehigh Valley rather than sitting here and rotting on your bench. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I, I've been watching, and, and between Franco and him, I mean, he's he's really looked bad this this weekend. Uh, my second question is actually a little bit farther. How long do you think before the National League gets the designated hitter? Uh, you know, it's coming soon, Steve, and I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. Uh, the DH to the National League, it, it's it's come, it's going to happen. Like, there's no doubt at this point that it is going to happen. The National League will have a designated hitter within the next few years. I think, I mean, probably two years would be my guess. I think you're probably sticking with the same rules for about the next two years. And then I think in two years, a realistic expectation uh, as to when the National League will adopt the DH, it could be next year. I mean, who knows? But um, the fact that the Phillies signed Bryce Harper, they got a head start on this thing. They did. I mean, because that, and that's another reason why the contract, the length of it, is not may not end up being as bad or as as difficult or late as people think because. You know, it's a good way to extend the life of a player and his productivity if you can, you know, DH Bryce Harper throughout the course of a season. Not every day, but DH him throughout the course of a season. Save that wear and tear on his body. And, you know, where he's not having to play the field in a week here, week there, have him be the DH. And, you know, once it gets to a certain point, once he gets to 35 years old and he's 9, 10 years into this contract, you just have him be your permanent DH. And maybe that would really extend the life of his career. So that's another re- I, that's another reason I think the contract might not be as prohibitive as some people think. And I certainly think that the Phillies took that into account 
when making this kind of long-term commitment. Let's go back to the phones. John and Glenn Olden. What's up, John? How you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. First thing I want to do is thank John Middleton for not letting us down. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's, that, to me, is big. All right? And, and another thing. Where's the All-Star game? How come we don't have it in Philly? You know what? I got to okay. check. I, I, I've always wondered that, John, why they never had an All-Star game at Citizens Bank Park. Because I, I, really? it's such a great ballpark. And I've never understood why they never got it here. But I'll have to check on that. I don't know where it is this season. Okay. Uh, my baseball moment. Can I go back to the 80 World Series? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, pop up. First baseline. Bob Boone's over to get it. Pops out of his mitt. Who's there? <laughs> Pete Rose catches it. I swear. I was a young kid. I was 18 years old. I said, we're winning the World Series. That play right there for me, I didn't have no fear at all after that. We're winning it. And we did. And it was the biggest moment in my young life. Went down to the parade at the time of my life. That's awesome, John. That's a good one. Well, I, I, I appreciate it, man. And by the way, the All-Star Game is in Cleveland this year. Yeah, okay. Let's all, let's let's petition to get, you know, get the All-Star Game at Simpsons Bank Park. Hey, I'm all for it, John. I'm all for I don't it. Know how we, I don't know how we can do that as a fan base. I mean, uh, you guys have more power than me. Let's look into it and get it going. I mean, we got Harper here, and you heard what he said about getting uh, Trout here. And one other thing I want to say, uh-huh. I bet you Trout said to Harper, yo, make make a, a make some, some move to get Le'Veon Bell here. Yeah, I, and I, don't I be, And don't be, excuse me, one more thing. Don't be surprised to see Harper and, and – uh, and Trout sitting in the stands. Yeah, that the Eagles games. Yeah, that'd be cool. I appreciate the call, John. Thanks. I, I'm I'm shocked nobody asked Harper about that at his press conference. I am. I'm surprised nobody asked him about that that Le'Veon Bell. I don't know if that was photoshopped or if that was real. I couldn't tell. I don't. I don't. I don't know for a fact whether um, that was a real DM or not. But uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, that Bryce Harper might be trying to recruit Le'Veon Bell uh, to Philly, but. Uh, the Trout thing is interesting, and we'll see what happens there in a couple of years. But um, this team is set up. They are set up, and because of that contract, uh, it could potentially happen. They're going to be in a situation because they don't have to pay Trout a ton of money over the average of the contract. That they'll be able to do other things. And uh, Harper, you know, mentioning that yesterday in his presser, I thought was very interesting. Eight 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 seven two nine nine four nine four. Pound 9494, AT&T, Verizon, Cell. Uh, if you want to get in, now would be a good time. Uh, we'll continue talking about the Phillies, what you can expect this year, and Gabe um, in year two. But I do want to also touch on another coach in town, and that uh, that ending last night to the Sixers game, which was frustrating. I talked about it a lot on my overnight show uh, earlier today, but I want to touch on it um, and get your thoughts on, on the Sixers and the issues surrounding Brett Brown in certain situations when we get back. 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T, Verizon Cell. I'm Tom Kelly with you till 10. Talking a lot about the Phillies uh, in the first few hours of the show. We'll continue taking your Phillies calls if you want to get in. Uh, talking about what you can expect from this team this year, Gabe Kapler in year two. Uh, the fact that he, I, I think he's going to be a, a bit of a different manager. I think you're going to see a different style from Gabe less hands-on, a little more straightforward, conventional with the the players he has this year. I just think it's a different team, and he'll handle it a different way. I do think he is adaptable, which is something that uh, 
they've talked about and Gabe's talked about and the, the front office has discussed in regards to him that he is adaptable, that he can uh, kind of change to the situation that, that, that suits him. And I do think he will this year um, as this team grows and as, you know, he won't have to be as hands-on this season. So your, your thoughts on that also are uh, other topic. As the Phillies do head into this next um, great era of Phillies baseball, your best memories from that other era, from 07 to 2011. And, you know, just some of the great times you remember from that period, got a lot of uh, post-season memories, of course. few people said Matt Stairs' home run, uh, the Jimmy Rollins walk-off which is probably my favorite, you know, aside from winning the World Series, which is obviously everybody's favorite. That Jimmy Rollins walk-off in Game 4 against the Dodgers in 09 uh, was probably my favorite. That was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the division clinchers in 07, 08, uh, all those moments have been great. So if you want to get in on that, you're welcome to as well. And we'll get back to the phones in one second. But I do want to touch on last night the Sixers losing to the Warriors at the Wells Fargo Center. And, you know... On its face, you lose to the Warriors by three at home without Joel Embiid. It doesn't look like a bad loss. And, you know, there's no shame in losing to the Golden State Warriors. That's something that happens to pretty much everybody in the league. And especially when you don't have your best player, you know, that's a difficult proposition to beat that team. But the way that game ended and the way that game finished you know, brought back a lot of concerns and a lot of concerns that people have had about this team and more more particularly about the head coach. And I like Brett Brown. I do. I, I think Brett Brown is a good coach. I think overall Brett Brown has done a very nice job over the last few years of developing a lot of the guys in this organization on this team. You know, I the the years of the process, the years of the tanking, you can't hold that against him. You can't hold those records against him. You throw that right out the window. That 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 doesn't count. You know, those those years they don't matter. But the past few years, you know, the way guys have developed under Brett Brown, Joel and B. Ben Simmons, even a guy like TJ McConnell who has been, you know, blossomed into a productive NBA player, like a quality bench guy that you can bring off the bench and make an impact. And, you know, other than that, there aren't a lot of guys still here um, from even two years ago. But overall, I think Brett Brown has done a good job with a lot of moving pieces over the years. And he's had a, he hasn't had a lot of continuity. He hasn't had a lot of guys here for a a long period of time and he's done a lot of uh, he's done a nice job with guys shuffling in and out but Brett Brown clearly has his weaknesses and when you look at certain situations mostly end of game situations he seems to really struggle and last night was one of those times because I don't understand at all what that strategy was at the end of the game last night. I don't understand what Brett Brown was communicating to his team. And it was just another time when they looked, you know, unprepared late in the game. I mean, 
first Mike Scott fouls Kevin Kevin Durant with 38 seconds left. That was that was ridiculous. But the thing that really bothered me more than anything is 19 seconds left. T.J. McConnell knocks a ball off Kevin Durant. Heck of a play by McConnell to uh, stop Durant from going in and and really having a dunk that probably would have sealed the game. Sixers get the ball back with 19 seconds left, down three. You know, conventional wisdom tells you there, especially the fact Golden State, mind you, had been missing foul shots the entire fourth quarter. I mean, they've been going to the line, making one one of two pretty much every time. Conventional wisdom tells you there, with 19 seconds left, which in the NBA is a world of time, you hurry down the floor, especially with a guy like Ben Simmons, where... This is where he is at his best, pushing the ball down the floor. You go down, you get a quick two. You probably foul Golden State with, what, 12, 13 seconds left. You hope they miss a free throw. And worst case scenario, you're back down three with 12 seconds left instead of 19. And you have a chance to set your defense where you could try to deny Curry or Durant the ball, and it would have been a better situation. Instead, I don't know what this strategy was, but Ben Simmons gets the ball, walks the ball up the floor. So it tells me that the Sixers are playing for a three-pointer there. When you have almost a full 20 seconds left, you can extend that game. Golden State, who had missed a ton of free throws to that point, could go to the line, miss one of two. You get the ball back down two with 10 seconds left have a chance to go down, tie the game with a two, or win it with a three. Instead, they walk the ball up the floor. Draymond Green with 10 seconds left fouls Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons goes to the line, makes the first free throw. Ben Simmons was actually hitting his free throws last night. For some reason, I have no clue why. And I, I, I thought at the time, Ben must have just done this on his own, must have been a young player overthinking it, making a mistake. Tries to miss it on purpose, doesn't hit the rim. Golden State gets the ball back. And what do you know? They went to the line, miss one of two, and the Sixers get the ball back. But with two seconds left, Tobias Harris steps on the line and out of bounds, and you lose the game. But Brett Brown, it it becomes um, known after the game. Brett Brown told Ben Simmons to intentionally intentionally miss that free throw. It makes no sense. I don't care what explanation you try to sell. It makes zero sense that you would tell him to miss that free throw. None. You have 10 seconds left. In the NBA, that's a lot of time. You make the free throw, then you foul. You have a chance to set your defense after the made free throw, deny Curry the ball, deny Durant the ball, force it to Draymond Green, Force it to whoever else they have out on the floor. You just make sure those two guys don't get the ball. It makes no sense that you would tell him to miss that free throw. And, you know, Brett Brown's explanation after the game I found unsatisfactory. And this happens time and time again where he has his team doing fundamental things wrong at the end of games. And it goes back to the playoffs last year. And it goes back to playing the Celtics a couple weeks ago where he's getting outcoached by Brad Stevens regularly. And it makes you worry about Brett Brown in certain situations, whether he truly is capable of taking this team to the next level. Because you can't have these kind of lapses in the postseason. We saw it last year. We saw when you don't do the right things late, when you're not calling timeouts to stop runs, 
when you're not, you know, adjusting properly in game. And it's a concern. And I'm telling you, if the Sixers get to the playoffs and they play Boston the first round, especially this Boston team that is falling apart at the seams right now, if they lose this Boston team in the first round, I'm telling you, Brett Brown's going to be out of a job because he cannot lose in the first round this year, even in the second round. If you go to the second round and you get beat badly again, you get swept, you lose in five, I have a hard time seeing Brett Brown keep his job. So where is your confidence level in Brett Brown right now? And what did you think of that strategy last night? I thought it was ridiculous. 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T, Brian. So let's go to Brian in Westchester. What's up, Brian? Hey, Tom, you're uh, totally right on uh, the Sixer situation. Uh, Brett Brown needs to be an NFL coach where he can put the headphones on, have three different people upstairs telling him what the situation is and what to do. Because left of his own devices, he is an utter disaster at the end of the game. Brian, I just, I had no clue what that was last night. Like, I watched it, and I, I'm thinking Ben Simmons had to have done that on his own. Had to right. have done that on his own. Yep. Had to have just yep. been a young player type, you know, overthinking it. And then when Brett said he told him to do it, I, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. Yeah, at first I, I thought he was just covering for, but you're absolutely right. Um, with the Phillies. I give credit where credit's due. I've been very critical of the Phillies. They've done a nice job of buying themselves a window to win, right? Mm -hmm. That being said, they still are a dead franchise to me because of their utter incompetency, and I blame Quentac as part of this, of developing young players. That minor league system is a disaster. Now, for the last two years, people have been saying what a great minor league system is. It's a disaster. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's a disaster, Brian. I mean, they have some prospects down there that are quality prospects. I mean, you look at the minor league system, they traded one of those prospects to get an all-star catcher in JT Real Muto. Yes, and that was their most highly regarded, you know, and I have doubts with them, so I was kind of happy what they got that return with them. But the Phillies go through the, you know, I've been watching the Phillies for a very long time. It's been their history. They go through droughts that last decades where they're just completely incompetent. And, you know, once every 20 years they put a team together. And, you know, I guess that's fine. But I really would like a Boston Red Sox organization. I really would like a Yankees organization. I would like something of that ilk. And it doesn't seem like us fans in Philly really demand that of the Phillies. They get – uh, you know, large breaks in terms well, of criticism for very long periods of time where they're just throwing slop on the field. Well, Brian, I think a lot of teams at some point, they do have to rebuild, especially when the Phillies, you know, committed as much financially as they did in that other era. I think the Phillies um, issue before and why this process has taken so long is that they didn't commit to the rebuild early enough. I put that on Ruben Amaro, you know, from 2013 to 2015, where they were trying to just like hang on instead of rebuilding. I think if they hadn't if if they had just rebuilt starting in 2013 when they really should have, they would have been competitive a couple of years ago. Right. But if you if you take a look at what's what's happened in the last three or four years, is there any reason like what impediment was put in front of the Phillies where they don't have Soto, who's with the Nationals? They get the most international signing money. They get the highest draft choices. Like, baseball is handing them 
every advantage, and they still cannot take advantage of it. Well, I mean, Brian, look what they've done this offseason. They've had an incredible offseason. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm giving credit to that. But I'm saying long-term, we as a fan base have given a pass on the Phillies for being, you know, championship caliber once every 15, 20 years. And I really don't think that's acceptable. We don't do it to the Eagles. We do it to the Flyers, certainly. And we certainly do it to the Phillies. And if we had the same mentality that we had with football to these other, especially the Phillies, they wouldn't get away with as much garbage as they've gotten away with. Well, I, I got you, Brian. I appreciate the call, man. Got to run, got to hit the break here. But I, I don't know. Now is not the time I, I don't think I'd be complaining about the Phillies' uh, front office. I mean, they've made a commitment to winning, obviously. And, and yeah, last the last era of, you know, great baseball from 07 to 11 was only five years long. I think this is going to be longer than that. I think this is going to be a decade long. When you look at Harper, Hoskins, Nola, you know, these are guys you can build around short-term and long-term. So, got to hit the break here, but we'll continue that discussion when we get back. 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T and Verizon. So, continue talking about the Phillies and Bryce Harper. And also, if you do want to get in on this Sixers thing, what is your confidence level in Brett Brown right now? Because nights like last night give me give me doubts. And I like Brett Brown, but I don't understand what the strategy was last night. And, you know, I think he's coaching for his job over this next six to eight weeks. 888-729-9494, pound 9494, AT&T, Verizon Cell. I'm Tom Kelly, with you till 10 on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.